Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, and during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception and cognition. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen and I am your host. Happy October. I am sitting here with Marianne. Hello, Marianne. Hello, Karen. Can you believe it's October? No, it is <laughs> impossible to believe. It's insanity. We're at the 10th month of the year. 2021 happened. I feel like all those memes on the internet where we haven't even processed 2020 and it's already like 2022. I know it. We're getting close to the holidays. I'm already seeing pumpkins and things like that. So yeah. it's coming. Hobby Lobby has had Christmas decorations since August. Oh no. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> it's too early. But yeah. <laughs> um, so for today's episode, we're wrapping up our series on the three causes of error. And um, we're going to go over the third one. So take it away. Okay. Thank you, Karen. So the third cause of error is looking back. And as I've mentioned in my last podcast, it's really the one that's most common for those of us who have gone through our training in music already. <laughs> so as you can imagine with looking back, it, it is just what it seems like. It is when you're playing along and everything is, is going okay. Suddenly, some part of you goes, wait a minute, what, what just happened? What? Huh? Or, of course, it can even be malicious to the point where your, your mind is saying, you're a moron, you're an idiot, there's no way you're a fraud, you shouldn't be doing this, and you're, meanwhile, you're trying to play. So I think that the real description of it is, in fact, that it could be manifesting as literally looking back. So mm. you're reading music, and suddenly you're looking back, you turn your head backwards to be able to see what just happened. Of course, as Mademoiselle Boulanger pointed out to me, you can't be on the train of music, then jump off and think you're going to be with the train when it keeps going. So yeah. don't jump off the train, is <laughs> what she said to me. So uh, that's what can happen is literally looking back. It can also be uh, uh, that you are kind of looking back about what you just played. So you're not looking at the score, you're listening to what you did backward. So um, it is definitely retrospective. I think it can also be kinesthetic, and I have that. I have this feeling almost like there's this electromagnet that's pulling me back as I'm trying to go forward. It's as if I'm going against the stream. I'm a salmon trying to swim <laughs> upstream, and it's very painful to make myself go forward. And so all of these things are definitely related, I think, to our brain being in the wrong place. And I do suspect, although I don't know this, I haven't had an fMRI to know if this is the case, but I think that it's actually that perhaps part of our brain, maybe it's the executive function of the brain, is engaged. So I always like to say it's like having this swimming coach, I love this, a metaphor for me, mm -hmm. a swimming coach jumping into the pool and yelling at me, the athlete, for something. And of course, I cannot hear what the heck, in my case, he is saying. And uh, at the same time, he's pulling me backwards <laughs> as he's screaming. And of course, I'm trying to just swim yeah. forward, and it's impossible. So in music, it's a very, very unpleasant thing. And some of us have had experiences where it's very auditory. 
that it can feel as if literally you're hearing screaming in your head mm. as you're trying to play. I know this for myself because I had an experience of this where I got into this car accident and I was trying to play a concert and right afterward accompanying a fabulous saxophonist. And what ended up happening was that uh, got into a car accident and driven there to the concert by the policeman, started playing, and I had such inner talking, such screaming in my head that I couldn't hear myself at all. Wow. I could not hear myself playing what I was playing. And at the end of the concert, that apparently went okay. <laughs> uh, people came up to me and said, I was very good. Wow, it was remarkable. And I just said, no, it wasn't. It was terrible. It's awful. Mm. And of course, in my head, it was awful. Yeah. In theirs, I managed to somehow play the notes, but it was hell. And I'm after that experience said, I've got to stop this behavior. So actually I'm very grateful because at around that time I was beginning to be exposed to meditation and I was beginning to really hear those yelling voices in my head and become very conscious of them because a goal of meditation is to stop inner talking. Yeah. So it can be useful here to just mention again that if you're uh, very visual, this looking back can be a distortion in your eyes. You can see someone yelling at you. It could be more visual. If you're more kinetic, you're more in your feeling a sense of movement uh, in space and time. It can be the pulling, the tugging. If it's auditory, it's literally a voice in your head or all three, if you're really cursed. <laughs> so in any case, I believe that then the cause of it is that we're judging as we're trying to go forward with an act in which we don't have sufficient or should not have sufficient energies for that. We're supposed to be paying attention to the moment. We're supposed to be present. It's supposed to be a beautiful, experience to hear the sound to feel our body to be aware visually of what's happening in our environment but instead what's happening is that swimming coach is mm. in the pool yeah and ruining it oh my gosh do you feel like this happens across the board in creative disciplines or do you think that this is something that is really indicative of music I think it probably happens with almost anyone like public speakers I would think ha mm. can have this People like our current president, Biden, with having dealt with stuttering. Yeah. I suspect that there is a lot of anxiety and self-consciousness that is present. I believe that it's probably with almost anyone trying to do with something. An athlete could definitely yeah. have it. You know, you're going to, you blew that, you fool. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of paying attention to the fact that they're supposed to be catching the ball that they just threw, the pitcher just threw to the batter. So ultimately, I think it probably happens to almost all of us. Yeah. And how does it manifest for you if you're willing to share like the difference between maybe, you know, sharing a composition, like I know you just uh, wrote a work for um, Tim McAllister and, you know, doing that versus, I know you just spoke at the Randolph School versus, you know, playing a Beethoven sonata versus like teaching one-on-one. -on -one. Like how does, how do these three causes of error show up in these various facets of you with just even all the awareness you have? Because I'm assuming you're still experiencing this. Mm -hmm. I do. Uh, I have to say that when I'm at my very best, those things are absent. 
Mm. That I'm trying to be in the moment. I'm trying to let go of whatever happened that might not be perfect. I'm trying to trust in the moment. And that's when I'm at my best. When I'm not at my best is when those things start happening. And it's, it's largely a waste of energy. And this is important. So I love being in those performance situations because of the fact that it, it does put me on the spot. I definitely have it worse. I have to deal with all of these things in my music performances because of bad habits. So I have to be so careful if I make a mistake to not show the mistake because of bad habits. So to be really totally honest, it takes a great deal for me to shut that up when I'm performing. And yet what I have learned, thanks to my husband, Keith Hill, is that uh, as long as I'm really being in the moment and being very creative, I end up not having those problems. There's no room for the other stuff. There's too much other wonderful stuff to be doing than that. (laughs) So it's kind of a void uh, (laughs) that I can just let go of. Definitely in the looking back, I think we just need to get rid of that coach. That coach needs to get out of the swimming pool and to learn how to reframe. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges we have. I don't know about you, Karen, but... Did you have this experience when you were a kid that you did something wrong, but you don't know how to fix it? Oh, yeah. Still. (laughs) Yeah, still. We do that. Yeah. And so, but we end up beating ourselves up. That's not the role of that part of our brain. That part of our brain needs to be analyzing what happened. Mm. What exactly happened? And you can't know that without being present with it. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. So you have to be present. And uh, so when that occurs, the coach's job, I believe, is to then take responsibility for any difficulty that occurs to do what's necessary to help the athlete to thrive and to be successful. So if you're a swimming coach and you tell someone, okay, you're going to do a medley of four different strokes, go. Mm. And the swimmer jumps, doesn't know what a medley is, and jumps into the pool, dives in, and starts swimming, and starts swimming the breaststroke. And the coach said, he starts yelling, jumping in the pool, yelling and saying, <laughs> well, you're supposed to be doing the, the freestyle, first of all, the crawl for the first stroke, you moron. Okay, mm-hmm. so then everything stops. Of course, the athlete stops, can't go forward. So then, good, all right, let's start over again. So then the coach says, okay, now do it again. Athlete starts, swims, and does the crawl, does it just fine. And then there's this turn, flip, and goes back and does the crawl again. And then the coach comes in and says, you moron, you're supposed to be doing the breaststroke now, going in this direction. So this Mm -hmm. is a bad coach. Yeah. Instead, the coach should have said before beginning, we're going to be doing a medley. A medley, in this case, is going to be four different strokes for four different laps. And in this order, it's going to be this, 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 Mm -hmm. and this. Do you feel comfortable with each one of those strokes? And then the athlete thinks about it and says, I don't know what you mean by the butterfly. I don't know what that is. What is that? Then the good coach says, let's work on the butterfly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they work on the four strokes. The coach then sets the athlete out 
boom. Athlete is swimming the right stroke, but the flips are not there. So the coach lets the medley finish. That's very important. Yeah. Then afterwards says, I was my fault. I'm so sorry I didn't ask you about the flip. So you can see in music that what needs to be happening is that the good coach is forecasting difficulties and avoiding reaction by saying, do you know all of these chords? Do you know all of this? Do you know how to finger that? Mm. Before just throwing you in over and over again. And then, this is very important, the good coach, after telling you what needs to happen, the coach needs to do this very difficult thing, and that is get the heck out of there. And that is to basically say, I surrender, I'm out of here. You'll do fine. If anything doesn't go right, I won't interrupt at all. It's my fault, and I'll take responsibility afterward, and we'll fix it. But it will be my responsibility. Then, out, out of there, completely out of there, after the medley, after the piece, after whatever, the goal has been reached, then the coach comes in and says, okay, that was good. I think we need to work on this, that, or that. Let's work on that particular flip. That's a tough flip. Mm-hmm. Let's do that until it feels natural. How's it going? Is that better? And uh, maybe maybe some of those other flips. But you see, that to me is a good model. That is what Mademoiselle Boulanger modeled for me, which is that you think about what's happening before you just throw yourself in. You know what you're doing before you begin. And then if something doesn't go right, you don't interrupt it, you don't abort. You have a clear set goal, and then after that you solve the problems. So that is a good coach, but the coach isn't yelling at the athlete as the athlete is trying to swim because we can't hear anything. And I also love too that you've pointed out that it has nothing to do with you as a person and your inherent value or your talent or your skill set. It's just getting the information. I was also particularly struck by your usage of saying that it's a waste of energy Mm -hmm. and that kind of made me think about anxiety. Um, Can you further elaborate on, you know, why that is a waste of energy? Mm -hmm. I think that all of these things, Karen, are a waste of cognitive energy. That is, we're using the brain in a way that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. In the case of reaction, it's an over-response, an excessive use of energy to be panicking because of the fact that the thing is an arpeggio after you did a scale. Or, you know, it yeah. went down instead of up. It's too much. <laughs> there are just 12 pitches and 11 die chords. And, you know, nothing is that hard. But we use the limbic center as if it's a dinosaur, a Tyrannosaurus rex here in the room, you know. <laughs> so it is an overuse of energy instead of just seeing what it is. And, again, delighting in the form and the gestures and the sounds and the sensual experience. So reaction is an overuse of energy. Now, it's an important cue to tell you that you need to learn something because you were surprised. Mm. So it's perfectly wonderful, as long as you don't abort, keep (laughs) it going, and then the coach comes in and says, oh, didn't know that. Let's figure, let's do that again. So that's what we want to do again with, uh, in terms of avoiding reaction, is to avoiding, avoid anxiety. We're all gonna encounter new things. But the more 
you get fluent at it, you just realize there are 12 pitches and 11 dichords, and any rhythm is essentially counting twos and threes. So it calms the mind from anxiety. In terms of anticipation, you get rid of the excess use of fighting reality. The truth of the notes are right there. What are you fighting with that? And maybe improvise more. So you get to create your own thoughts and maybe even write them down. But, you know, you don't have to fight that. That's a waste of energy. It's just that note. It's that thing. And then finally, looking back, you know, that's the coach in and a terrible excess of use of energy at the wrong time. It's a misuse of energy. needs to be before and after that the coach is working, not during the act in music. And that's why I think with uh, research that's being done on really great improvisers, it's being demonstrated that it seems that the executive function of the brain is kind of turned off. Mm. It's like the coach is out. Yeah. And that allows for the freedom to be in the present moment. Why do we do this? Is it the ego? Is it trauma? Like, like, what do you think? It's a good question. I, I think it is control, the desire to control. Mm. And that's different than mastery. So control and mastery mm. are not the same thing. Uh, Tell us more. Yeah, okay. I love that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many of you have ridden a horse before, but I think we need to know we're not controlling that horse. That horse could just turn on us in no time and make our life a living hell if we don't understand it. So what I think we learn to do is to become in rapport. And I feel that way about life. I feel that way very much about music. It's so much bigger than our consciousness. It's so much more than that. So what you learn to do is to become in rapport with it. I think that's what J.S. Bach did. I think that's what Beethoven did. I think that's what any great artist does, is they learn to go into rapport, but they know that it's something much higher than they are. So all they do is work on their rapport, is constantly focusing on, as Sadhguru, wonderful mystic who lives today, but he would just say, we work on this, and he's pointing to his body, as I am now. So we work on understanding this and becoming in rapport with that and that should be practicing that's what practicing is it's playing so that we understand how things work and that's the loving coach who says oh you know i didn't teach you that sorry about that let's let's work on that and to the point where it's natural to me that's yeah oh that's amazing that's such a beautiful reframe it it almost feels like the experience is on loan Mm -hmm. and you don't own it exactly Mm. But controlling, it's like controlling something much bigger than you. It's an illusion. Yeah, it is. And it's a waste of energy. Mm, (laughs) That is so great. I love that. Especially like for for performance anxiety. And I I do recognize, and and there definitely is a boundary with, you know, disorders and things like that. But, you know, I I think we can just really reframe that as an opportunity and, and not as something to prove or, you know, just, I think we just get so wrapped up, especially in, in conservatory training of, of doing the music justice, but it's not that it becomes about the person. And then we get into this whole hot mess. So yeah, this, this feels very liberating and also like a gift, not like a, 
have to control and be the best for the hell of it. Like it feels more spiritual. Yeah, I think I think it is. It's one of the things that Keith and I have worked on in terms of the craft of musical communication. That's an article yeah. on my website. But uh, in working with artists who have anxiety, what we found was the more of these what we call communication techniques we employ, the less and less anxious people would get. So we were working with people who were terrible anxiety. Yeah. But by saying, you know, you can be creative and you never want to do the same, it's exactly the same way twice. Mm-hmm. And you want it, the more you add, the better. So the more creative you are, the less anxiety, because there's just no room yeah. for it. And mm-hmm. I think that's the difference. We have too much room for that coach to be, there's a vacuum <laughs> and we need to fill that vacuum with, with more beautiful things. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, Marianne. I think it's such a game changer. Um, Do you have any final maybe encouragement or homework or an antidote for for this part? I think a great thing to do for all of these causes of error is to see if you can gently and lovingly allow inner talking to stop. I do think it's the bane of many musicians' lives, and that is this inner talking. And it's not new. Almost every meditation technique that I've learned talks about the need to silence monkey mind (laughs) inner talking but I've discovered that a way of doing that that seems to help me uh, and seems to help others is that we just become sensing creatures that we're sensing just sensing like I just heard right now you know there's a truck outside (laughs) it roomed its engine just sensing that without judging it without doing anything else but just allowing our brain to have no words yeah and uh, in doing this with groups just having that inner talking stop changes the energy in the room yeah wow if we could be like that all the time yeah i mean even just being in this moment makes me feel not sleepy but just like really relaxed Mm -hmm. and just like like it's gonna be okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's no like performative expectation or like that just feels like the music would sound better like taste better feel better it does and there's more to it i think than that i think we are electromagnetic and a whole lot more than that fields and i think that silencing the inner talking creates a pure filter and therefore the thought energy the communication is transmitted more effectively and received more effectively than when that isn't happening wow amazing thank you so much marianne for sharing all of this of course thank you so huge um for those of you listening like you could pick up your jaw from the ground and um feel free to share this and you know tag us let us know if you have questions um feel free to follow marianne on the socials at marianne ploger on instagram and the ploger method our community facebook page um and if there's any other topics that you also want us to cover feel feel free to comment and let us know Um, We'll be starting some new series soon um, and then also sharing some fun announcements and and new insights coming soon to the podcast. But thanks for being here. And as always, we're very grateful for the feedback um, and for just the, the love, support and encouragement that we've been receiving with the podcast. Thank you all. 